Well, amen. It's so good to be with you here this morning. I would invite you to take your copy of the Lord's Word as we continue in our series together, as we continue to build the house and talk about what God's house should look like and what each of our houses should look like. We're going to speak about giving this week, that for this house to be God's house, God's house is a house with an open hand. God's house is a house of giving. I would invite you to take your copy of the Lord's Word and turn to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 through 15. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 through 15. If you're familiar with this passage, you know that this is the third letter that we believe that Paul wrote to the Corinthians. Of course, we don't have the second one, we just have the first one, and then we have uh, a, a missing second one that is not included in the canon of Scripture. But now, 2 Corinthians is the third letter that we, um, we actually have possession of it. One of the things that we're going to, to see here today is that Paul talks about money. Now, I know some of us get uncomfortable with talking about money in church. It's not appropriate, you know. In, for some, for instance, it seems like some have this idea that all the church talks about is money. Uh, hopefully you don't have that idea if you're here. I've only preached on money two times since I've been your pastor for six and a half years, and this makes number three. So I'm not exactly uh, hot and heavy on preaching on money. I probably ought to do that more just to be more responsible to you all and to myself and to the Word of God because one of the things is that Jesus talks about money more than any other subject. Of all the subjects he discusses, giving and money is one that is extremely frequent. So financially giving matters in a church, and Paul knows this, Jesus knows this, that having an open heart, having an open heart to our Lord means having an open hand. They go hand in hand. An open heart is an open hand, and a closed heart is a closed hand, and a closed hand is an indicator of a closed heart. So this third letter to the Corinthians, before I read our passage this morning in 1 Corinthians 9, this won't be on the screen, but I'm just going to pick up something real quick out of 1 Corinthians in the first letter that Paul wrote. In 1 Corinthians 15, we have one of the most beautiful expositions on the resurrection in the entire New Testament. The entire chapter is just rich with resurrection language and the hope that we have in Christ. Not only that he is risen, but we will one day rise again with him and live and reign with him forever. It is absolutely beautiful. And then in 1 Corinthians 16, at the very conclusion of 15, the very first verse of 16, Paul says this, Now, concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do on the first day of every week. Each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. I don't know if you've ever noticed that in 1 Corinthians, but Paul sees as a part of regular worship, giving out of as God prospers each of us in order to be a part of what God is doing, not just locally, but around the world. So he picks back up the conversation. This is now 2 Corinthians. So 1 Corinthians, he gives instructions 
for the offering. And now we read about in 2 Corinthians what has happened since those instructions from 1 Corinthians. So we're going to read the whole chapter of 2 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. We'll come back to that. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter. Tell us what you're thinking, Paul. I love that. So that you may be ready, as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated. To say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it was necessary to urge the brothers to go ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift that you have promised, so that it may be, may be ready as a willing gift and not an exaction. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others." While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. So let's talk this morning about why giving financially matters. First of all, who does it matter to? What well, matters to all of us? I want you to know that this message is first preached to me. I'm a part of this church before I'm the pastor here. I'm a member here. And my family seeks to be used by God. And part of our ministry here is having not just an open heart, but an open hand to be generous in what God is doing here. And then also as God leads us to be generous in what he's doing in his kingdom work, even beyond here and around the world. So a message on giving is never pastor to people. It's always to all of us because we're all a part of the Lord's church. 
So giving financially matters. Let's look at the text this morning. Paul maps this out for us as he talks about financial giving in the church. First, Paul acknowledges not everyone gets excited about giving. Not everyone gets excited about giving. Look down at the text of Scripture, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 9. Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry of the saints. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, St. Achaia, has been ready since last year. And your zeal has stirred up, what does that say? Everybody? No, what does it say? Most of them. Yeah. Not everybody gets fired up about giving. And here's, here's what Paul is doing. Paul is talking to the saints at Macedonia, and he is telling them, hey, man, you know the saints, you know the folks, the faithful people of God down at first, you know, it was, of course, we know it was a Baptist church, but first Baptist church of Corinth down there and Corinth Grace. So, you know, they are so ready to give. They are so ready to give. In fact, they committed and they said, Paul, we're going to be a part of what God's doing, not just in Corinth, but even at the church in Jerusalem, you can count on us. We are going to be faithful and found faithful in giving. And Paul uses this talking point and uses this story as he goes to other churches. Everywhere Paul goes, he says, man, let me tell you about Corinth Baptist Church because they are so faithful when it comes to giving. So, but Paul acknowledges that not everybody is stirred up by the faithfulness described of other people. Why is it that some don't get excited about giving? Well, a a couple of reasons here. Well, some are paralyzed by cynicism. When it comes to giving in the Lord's church, not just the Lord's church, but what God is doing in the world, some are paralyzed by cynicism. Now, we know what what an optimist is. An optimist is someone who looks for the good in things. We also know what a pessimist is. A pessimist is someone who looks for the bad in things. And the cynic is something different. The cynic doesn't look for the good or the bad. They look for what's wrong. And often, a cynic can be found even amongst God's people. For instance, some are paralyzed by cynicism. Optimism assumes the glass is half full pessimism assumes the glass is half empty and the cynic assumes that at least half of it has been stolen so proverbs 11 verses 24 through 25 it says this one gives freely yet grows all the richer another withholds what he should give and only suffers want if you're a cynic today not just in matters of giving and being a part of god's work in his church but a cynic about anything you're only harming yourself whoever brings blessing will be enriched and one who waters will himself be watered some are paralyzed by cynicism also some are paralyzed by control some are paralyzed by control meaning i mean it's it's hard right to actually let go of what's in your hand Sometimes it's hard. It's like, I just don't know. And then, okay, finally, there we go. I'm, I'm, I'm through with it. Like, for instance, do you ever have a large bill, let's say a $100 bill in your wallet, 
And sometimes it'll stay there for a while and you'll think about it. And there's a hesitation to break the $100 bill. I mean, sometimes when I have a $100 bill, I'll use my debit card instead of using cash. Because like, that $100 bill is just so pretty. I just don't, I don't want to break it up. I just want it to be there and it to look so nice and in my wallet. I, I just, and then finally, once you break it, it's like, oh, okay, well, whatever, you know. And it's not that it becomes less valuable, but we're paralyzed by control at times, even when it comes to giving. Proverbs eleven twenty eight says this, Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. To remind you this morning, it's not that money is the root of all evil. Paul says in Timothy, clearly, it is the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. And one of the evils can be is that we can put a false hope and trust in our finances. So Paul acknowledges not everyone gets excited about giving because some of us are paralyzed by cynicism. Others are paralyzed by control. We just can't let something go. Also, some are paralyzed by a fear of tomorrow. If I give today, how will I pay for tomorrow? Philippians chapter 4, verses 18 and 19 addresses this question. He says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4.19 should be a verse that every Christian should know because everybody at some point worries about money. Whether you have a lot of it or a little of it, things can happen and we worry about money. I read this article last night. It was a pastor in the 1930s that he broke down. He did this psychological study of how much of our worry is actually legitimate. For, for instance, uh, Mark Twain famously said, I've worried about many things, most of which never happened. And I think that's our experience as well. This pastor did this. I don't know how he pulled it off. I just read the article. I didn't read about how he actually pulled off the experiment in the 1930s. But he came up with this conclusion that only about 8% of our worry is connected to things that we should actually be worrying about. Because most of our worry is connected to things that will never happen, things that have already happened and we have no control over, worried about what other people think of us when they're probably not thinking of us anyway, so on and so forth. And there's only about 8% of our worry that actually has true bearing on our life. Some are paralyzed by the fear of tomorrow, and it causes them to miss out on the blessing of today when it comes to giving. Also, some are paralyzed by stuff. Some are paralyzed by stuff. Jesus says this in Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There your heart will be also. Jesus also says this in Matthew 19, 21 through 24, probably the most famous story in the Bible of someone paralyzed by their stuff and the love of their stuff. This one known as the rich young ruler. Jesus said to him, this is a man who wanted to follow Jesus, if you would be perfect, go and sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. While the young man heard this, 
he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. So what it is that some of us are paralyzed by our stuff, that we have a greater love for what we have than what God is doing in the world. Also, there are other kinds of paralysis as well. Here's one more. Um, it is this. Some are paralyzed by a lack of understanding where our resources originate. Some are paralyzed by a lack of understanding where our resources originate. I remember in premarital counseling when I met with a guy named Pastor Rob Mullins. He now pastors in Fisherville, Tennessee, I believe. Um, I think it's in Fisherville. It's Crossroads Church in Memphis, Tennessee. But Rob was doing premarital counseling, sat down with Andrea and myself, and I just still remember that whole conversation vividly. I won't forget, he looked at her, and he, actually, he first looked at me, and he asked me how many children I wanted. And I said, uh, maybe one. After about 10 years, maybe 15 years. And he looked at her, and he said, well, Andrea, how many children do you want? And she said, I'm thinking six. So you see what happened, like who got, got their way there. But w- one of the things, one of the things that I remember, one of the things that I remember in that conversation was a conversation with Pastor Rob about stewardship. He said, we don't, uh, he said, the first principle of stewardship is not acknowledging what belongs to us and what belongs to God. The first principle of stewardship is that everything including our life and breath, not just everything we have, but everything about us and everything in this world, everything belongs to God. The scripture says the earth and the fullness thereof belongs to God. Therefore, everything we possess, we possess because of God's goodness in our lives. You can say, well, listen, I've worked hard for my money. I've worked hard for my wealth. Amen. And Perhaps that is true. But also, here's a question. What has allowed you to work hard? Your health? Your intellect? Your relationships God has given you? Your family? Where do those things come from? Well, James 1.17 says this, that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Some are paralyzed by a lack of understanding where resources originate. And they get uncomfortable when giving is talked about amongst the people of God. Why? Because it's like, listen, I'm not going to to partake of my hard-earned money, my hard-earned wealth. There's a failure to understand there. This is not giving hard-earned wealth to just a cause. This is rather, this is first and foremost an acknowledgement that everything we have comes from God, the good God who gives graciously to all. So, number one, Paul acknowledges that not everyone gets excited about giving. And then number two is this, Paul realizes that it is human for even the most generous givers to forget to give. 
Paul realizes it is human for even the most generous of givers to forget to give. Well, how does this happen? Let's look back at the scripture. Notice the very first statement in chapter 9, verse 1. Now, it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry of the saints, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about for the people of Macedonia. We've already gone over this. What is Paul saying? He's like, I know I don't even have to say this to you. He said, because I know when I was there, you all said, yes, we're going to be a part of what God is doing. You can count on us. Paul says, listen, I know of your readiness to give. Paul said, I need somebody to stand with me and give. And you all said, you can count on us. Amen. However, Paul realizes that it's human for even the most generous of givers to forget to give. Because notice it keeps going. Verse number three, uh, after he talks about their generous spirit stirring up the saints in Macedonia, but look at verse three, look what he says. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter. Isn't that funny? Boy, Paul, master communicator, right? I, I know there's no reason for me to talk about money because you all are so excited about giving. But just in case you've forgotten, I've sending a few brothers down there and we're going, you know, that's exactly what he's doing. What's he doing? Why is Paul reminding excited givers to actually give why is it that he is even talking about money friends and this actually helped me this week this helped me this week because i i get weird uh, in just in my personal in my spirit when i think about preaching on money especially the first baptist church of tupelo you want to know why because you all are the most generous church i've ever been a part of most generous church i have ever been a part of and it was kind of an uncomfortable, I was like, what? I don't need to be preaching on money at First Baptist. First Baptist is a generous church. And then as I was reading this, I saw this. Because when I think of First Baptist Church of Tupelo, I think about the Corinth church in the Bible. A church that was ready and willing to give. And even amongst the most ready and willing, God gives reminders. So this helped me this week. As I thought about your faithfulness, I looked here in the scripture and said, no, listen, it's good to encourage faithfulness even amongst excited, generous, and faithful givers. So why does it happen? Why is it that even the most generous of givers forget to give? Well, there's a couple things. Number one, we accidentally forget about our commitment to give. We accidentally forget about our commitment to give. Right now, we're in the middle of a, a leadership training. Uh, a guy named Corey Lee, he's local here. He does the John Maxwell Leadership School. And our staff is meeting with him on a weekly basis. And we just recently did a DISC personality profile to talk about strengths and weaknesses. By the way, this has been one of the most productive things that we have done together as a staff, and it's helped me tremendously. But those personality tests, they nail you, or at least it did me. And the things that are most glaring about me are, are the things that are my weaknesses. That when, you know, you have these strengths and weaknesses that tell you what you're good at, tells you what you're good at, tells you what you're bad at. I don't really focus on what I'm good at. I'm just interested in what I'm bad at. And, um, but anyway, some of us have the gift of being a little more in tune about what's going on than others. We accidentally forget 
about our commitment to give. It has nothing to do with generosity in our heart. We're saying, yes, you can count on me. You can count on me. I'll give. Don't worry about it. Um, like, for instance, you ever been to lunch with somebody and they're like, hey, listen, I'm, I'm going to take you to lunch. Don't worry about it. I'm going to pay for everything. And then the bill comes around and then they don't pick it up. And then they really don't pick it up. And then finally you get it and just pay for it and stuff like that. You're not going to remind them, right? You just, just pay for it. It's no big deal, right? But in the back of your mind, it's like, you forgot. <laughs> it's not that you don't want to give. It's just you forgot what you said. Some of us are like that. I can be that way. Sometimes we forget about our commitment. Also, some of us, it's not about forgetfulness. We're just not organized enough to give. We're just not organized enough to give. Um, for instance, um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, this is why Paul says this, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do on the first day of every week. What day is that, by the way? Sunday. Each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so there will be no collecting when I come. What is Paul doing? He's just giving pragmatic advice of, listen, if you will set up a structure and you will give regularly over time, it won't be as difficult when the time comes for the need to be met. Because he knows that some folks have ready and willing hearts and means to give, but they're just not very organized. So that's why he's giving a reminder. Some accidentally forget to give. Some are just not organized enough to give. And then also some of us have disconnects between our hearts and our head. Disconnects between our hearts and our head. Meaning our hearts are like, yes, count on me. And then we haven't even thought about what that may look like and how that's going to be pulled off. Paul realizes that it is human for even the most generous of givers to forget to give. That's why he gives a reminder. Also, here's the next thing. Paul continues this teaching to them. Paul is, knows giving is not a prosperity gospel investment strategy, but a biblically verified blessing cycle. Paul knows that giving is not a prosperity gospel investment strategy, but biblically verified blessing cycle. I don't know if you've ever watched... TV ministry, some of them are really poisonous, some are healthy, but many of them are characterized by what is known as prosperity gospel, and it has to do with prosperity gospel investment of resources. It goes like this. If you'll give this to God, he will give this to you. We are never told to give more to get more. We are never told in the scripture to give more to get more. However, we are told repeatedly, those who give are blessed. Giving is not an investment strategy. Giving is a blessing strategy. We are told repeatedly, those who give are blessed. Listen to Malachi 3.10. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby Put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Listen to Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 through 10. 
Honor the Lord with your wealth, that's accumulated resources over time, and with your first fruits. Uh, that would be what is brought in at the current time. Honor the Lord with your wealth and your first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Listen to what Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Oh, such a poetic and beautiful verse. We are told repeatedly that those who give are blessed. It's not an investment strategy. It's just the blessing the Bible speaks of. Now, this one will be on the screen. It didn't make the outline, the bulletin. I'm sorry about that. We had just a little typo thing going on here. But if you want to write this down, you can. Not, don't worry about it. We've already talked about it. We are told the cycle of blessing leads to the exponential growth of blessing. I'm running out of time, but we've already read it in 2 Corinthians 9. That the sower, it's compared to sowing seed. Like for instance, no farmer is stingy about putting seed into the ground. Now, seed could also be used for other reasons. You can eat seeds. You can use seeds to, you know, for other purposes to make certain kinds of foods and breads and things like that. But no farmer is hesitant in planting time. They don't skimp on the seeds. Why? They're generous in what they plant because they know you're going to reap more than what you have sown. We are told the cycle of blessing leads to the exponential growth of blessing so as the scripture says that we are always fully supplied for instance in verse 11 you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to god and so we are told the cycle of blessing leads to the exponential growth of blessing number four and we'll be done paul connects others opportunity for worship and thanksgiving to our giving. I, I, just, I just love this thought. Paul goes through this discussion. Notice what he says in verse 12. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel and generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. What is he talking about? He's saying this. He said, listen, when you give, it extends the hand of ministry in God's church, whether it be local or abroad. When you give a contribution, it extends that hand even further than it could originally go. And then when that hand of ministry goes to reach and to bless, those who are blessed by that hand give glory to God. Paul connects others' opportunity for worship and thanksgiving to our giving. Think about it. When we give, it is an act of worship as we give our tithes and offerings to our Lord. But at the same time, it is an opportunity to be a part of the catalyst for other people to worship God. When you give it generously to help another, that person is then set up to say, thank you, God, for meeting my need. 
And they are blessing God and giving him worship on account of your generosity. This is what Paul is saying. It's so beautiful. Now, the negative is also true. That when others complain to God about our stinginess, God listens and acts. I don't have time to listen to to fully expound on this whole passage, but I'm just going to read it to you. Deuteronomy chapter 15, verses 7 through 11. This is talking about the sabbatical year. Um, But anyway, the year of, uh, not the, yeah, the sabbatical year. It says, if any among you, one of your brothers, should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God has given you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be, lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart and you say, the seventh year, the year of release is near. Why? What's the seventh year? In the seventh year, all debts had to be forgiven. And the reason it is is because the Lord wanted no one in his people and among his kingdom to be paralyzed long-term, to lose their property, to lose their allotment and the Lord's inheritance. So all debts had to be forgiven each seventh year. So you see how it is. If somebody is like asking you, hey, I need to borrow like, mm, let's say $30,000. And it's not like, it's like, year six, and it's like 10 months in, you're thinking, hmm, I don't know about that, right? You've only got two, year, two months to pay this back to me. Well, anyway, that's how it worked in the Old Testament. So, but anyway, look at what God says. This is interesting. The seventh year, the year of release is near, and your eye look grudgingly on your poor brother, and you give him nothing, and he cry to the Lord against you, and you be guilty of sin. You shall give to him freely. And your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him, because for this the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. For there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore, I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor and in your land. Now, this passage is about giving to the poor, but here's what's interesting we see here is that if those suffer from lack of giving complain to god god hears isn't that interesting that when they don't have need because we have not been faithful god hears that according to deuteronomy but then we come back to first second corinthians when others bless god about our generosity paul says listen god acts god listens and he acts because why Because those who are blessed by our giving return worship and thanksgiving to God. There was a a story that happened a couple years ago. One of the ladies in our church, uh, a widow, needed to move. And um, I don't think she's here today. But anyway, she needed to move and people... Deacons in our church, other families got together and just helped her move. And it was of no cost to her. They were just helping a sister. And later, her neighbor reached out to her and said, who are, who are all these people? She said, well, this is my church family. She said, my neighbor was dumbfounded and could not even comprehend that kind 
of generosity. You see, when we see it, when we see the open hand, even when a lost world, and I don't know that this person was lost, but it's true even amongst the lost world, when we see an open hand, we say, wow, surely God is in this place. So we come to this, we're reminded of this, is that giving financially matters in the church. And it matters in a church, it matters in this church, and it matters to you. And your pastor, your friend here today, I'm inviting you not only to trust God in giving, but to be blessed by him as you give. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your son Jesus today. Lord, I, like Paul, it is superfluous for me to talk about generosity and giving to a church that has an open hand. So, Lord, I pray that this would all be received in the right spirit. And, Lord, that we would see this for each of us, myself included, as a reminder, not an admonishment. Lord, for those of us here, perhaps, that just aren't a part of giving and what you're doing here at First Baptist, Lord, I pray that you would even begin to soften hearts, Lord, that Lord, we might join with what you're doing. Lord, I pray today for your church. Will you have your way in us? And Lord, as we now come to this time of response, will you press upon any heart here that needs to make a decision? For it's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen and amen.